Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Well, hey, good morning, Revision. I am uh, excited. I have the privilege of kicking off a brand new series this week. It's called How Happiness Happens. And we're going to be exploring some ways where we can choose joy in the middle of our broken world by leaning into some key principles for godly living. So first one this morning, I'm going to be kicking things off talking about how we experience joy through generosity. Sit back down. Sit back down. You're not going anywhere. We locked the doors, okay? (laughs) I joke about that, but I understand generosity can be a bit of a sensitive topic. In fact, there were a couple people when they asked what I was preaching about, and I told them generosity, they're like, dang, Mike stuck you with that one? What the heck? But the truth is, this was my first choice. I jumped on it because I truly believe that generosity is transformational when it comes to our joy. And I hope that you walk out of here this morning, assuming we unlock the doors, that you walk out of here this morning not ridden with guilt, but giddy with excitement because of the chance to experience that joy through generosity. And I want us to understand that generosity, it's not something that God needs from us because he desperately needs that $20 bill in your pocket. Like he can get by without that, but it's something that God wants for us because it's a life-giving discipline. And it's not just something that the holiest of holy people can do either. We are all capable of living with this generous spirit, and it's transformational when it comes to our joy. So there was an interesting study done a few years ago by the University of Zurich in Switzerland, and it linked generosity to happiness. So they gave people small sums of money. They had to make plans for how they were going to spend it, and then they measured their brain activity. And they found that people who made more generous decisions, for instance, deciding to give to others, that those generous decisions, they engaged the temporal parietal junction in the brain. I keep pointing over here like I know where that's at. Maybe it's on this side. I, I don't know. Somebody knows. But the point is, those generous decisions... They, uh, they, they measured the brain activity and found that generosity generates happiness. And do you know what I say to that? Duh! Like, how much research funding did it take to come up with this shocking discovery? But they would have been happier if they just gave some of that grant money away, right? But we've seen this. We've experienced the joy of generosity in our own lives, and we've seen it in the lives of others, but this is one of just a, like a number of studies that show how generosity generates joy. And while I kid about it being a waste of grant money, I do actually love it when science goes to great lengths just to confirm what Scripture's been telling us for thousands of years. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along 
Words will be up here on the screen. If you need a Bible, please grab one from the Next Steps table after the service. We'd love for you to have one. In this passage, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And at this time, the believers in Jerusalem were in need. So he's taking up an offering from the the believers in Corinth. And he's going to be sending some folks to collect this offering soon. So he's pleading that they are generous in their giving. And here's what he says, starting in verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever uh, sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So we're looking at how generosity generates joy, and we see that in a couple key ways in this passage. And the first one is this. Our generosity creates flourishing for others, and it points them towards Jesus. Let's take a look quick at at verse 12 and 13 again. It says, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God. If we look at the example of Jesus' ministry, we see that he cared deeply about cultivating his kingdom right here on earth. Like he spent much of his time healing the sick, feeding the hungry. Like he met practical needs to cultivate human flourishing. And as we look out on our world today, there's no shortage of suffering. There's no shortage of need. And that means there's no shortage of opportunities for our generosity to make a huge difference in the lives of others. And is there any doubt that that generosity is a source of joy? It's joy for the receiver as those needs are being met, and also joy for the giver. Now, as a millennial, naturally my mind goes to to YouTube and some of the videos that I've seen there. Like there's one, you may have seen, there's an organization that funded a well for a community in Africa. And it shows that moment where water is pumped out of the well for the first time, and the people are just overjoyed. Like... As the water flows, it's, it's literally a source of life for them, and they can't contain their excitement. And there's another video that comes to mind. There's a, a young child 
who received a cochlear implant thanks to some community funding. And the video shows that moment where he's able to hear his mother's voice for the first time and just the way that he and the family lights up. Like these videos are so heartwarming and so inspiring because is there any better feeling than seeing that exact moment when suffering ends and flourishing begins? And we have a chance to be part of that through our generosity. I know for me personally, one of the most joyous moments that I've experienced was actually on a, a trip with Revision to Haiti a few years ago. I was playing soccer with a, a young boy named Joe Lee. And there, yeah, there's a picture of him up on the screen. He's the one up top there. Uh, but I found out that Joe Lee, he needed a sponsor to be able to attend school. His family couldn't afford it. And so I was able to tell him, hey, you know, me and my family, we're going to take care of you. We're going to send you to school. And the way he lit up in that moment was absolutely incredible. And it's a really small example in the grand scheme of things, like in terms of the money spent, in terms of the overall impact on the world. But it felt big to Joe Lee. And seeing him feel like that, like there's nothing I would have rather committed money to in that moment than seeing that joy. There's another thing in these verses that I don't want us to miss. Because we see in this passage, it's not just a matter of the physical needs being met, which is critically important, but also it results in thanksgiving to God. When we demonstrate the love and generosity of Christ to others, it points people toward him and he receives glory and praise. So we've talked about how our generosity makes a difference in the lives of others. It creates flourishing and creates joy for the, the giver and the receiver. There's another key benefit to generosity in this passage, and it's this. Our generosity results in abundant blessings. Verse 6 says, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And verse 11 says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And some of you, when you hear me talk about abundant blessings, think, yeah, that's awesome. Let's go. And some of you might feel like, ew, is that a little gross and self-serving as a motivation? And, and I actually had that thought too, but as I've dug into it, I don't think that's the case. And here's why. Because selfishness implies a zero-sum game, right? We have a pie. I take a piece of the pie. That means there's one less piece for you. But that's not really the way generosity works. Because there's no shortage of pie. There's no scarcity in God's blessing. He chooses to bless us generously for our generosity. But it's never at the expense of anyone else. Like we're giving away our pie now and it's just leading to exponentially more pie from the great pie maker in the sky. And I've, I've, I've talked too much about pie. And you're all making lunch plans. I can see you're all going to Village Inn now. They sh should have got sponsored by them today. But it, It's not just Paul's words that talk about these blessings in the future treasure concept. Jesus brought it up multiple times in his teaching as well. In Matthew 6.20, he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Matthew 19, 21, Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. This is a really important and really powerful concept because Jesus is not telling us that we shouldn't store up treasures. He's just giving really sound advice on where we should be investing. And it's not just an educated guess on his part either. Like he knows the future. If the SEC was around in Jesus' day while he's giving out this advice, they would have had to lock him up for insider trading. Unless he's a congressman. They would have swept it under the rug, right? But, but Jesus is telling us, hey, maybe don't invest in Lehman Brothers in 2007, but Netflix is going to go up 7,000%. Or don't invest your money where moth and rust destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. Don't be so short-sighted. Invest in what's eternal. It's the better option. I love the way that Jim Elliott put it. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. If we trust these words of Jesus, then our generosity is a guaranteed investment. We cannot keep our earthly possessions, but we cannot lose our heavenly treasures. I understand, though, it's, it's easy sometimes to feel like, whew, eternity is a long way away, and this brand new fill-in-the-blank is right here in front of me. But, but hear me out on this. It's not just a matter of delayed gratification about, like, struggling along and suffering along while we're waiting for eternity, because there's joy for us in the present. Present joy actually comes from anticipating future joy. Research shows that people are even happier planning and anticipating vacations than they are on the vacation itself. Anyone who's been to Disney can probably confirm that, right? But knowing our generous God, I think that these treasures in heaven are going to blow away even our wildest expectations. And that should give us joy now. Let's stop, step back, and think about that future and lean into that present joy knowing that our generosity is creating an abundant and incredible future for us. Randy Alcorn, in his fantastic book, The Treasure Principle, he put it this way. He who lays up treasure on earth spends his life backing away from his treasures. To him, death is loss. But he who lays up treasures in heaven looks forward to eternity. He's moving daily toward his treasures. To him, death is gain. He who spends his life moving away from treasures has reason to despair, but he who spends his life moving towards his treasures has reason to rejoice. So let's take joy now in knowing that our generosity is meaningful, it's impactful to others, and it's also creating a brilliant future for us. So why is it so hard sometimes? Like, the case for generosity is open and shut. It's clear as day. We'd be better off, we'd be happier if we were more generous. It's clearly called out in scripture. It's clear in science. 
If you're a science denier, it's clear in our own anecdotal experience, generosity is kind of like a cheat code for joy. So what's stopping us from just doing it? Well, the reality is there's an enemy of our souls who doesn't want us to experience this joy. He doesn't want human flourishing. In fact, he's bent on our destruction. John 8, 44 says he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar, the father of lies. And unfortunately for us, he's a good liar. I think every one of us in this room has fallen for lies when it comes to generosity. So I want to talk through some of those most common lies that we believe. I want to expose them in the light so that we can fight back with truth. And the first lie I think that becomes a barrier to our generosity is this. If I could just have blank, I would be happy. You fill in the blank. Maybe it's this house, this car, this vacation, this salary, these shoes. Um, Sometimes it's conscious for us. Sometimes it's subconscious. But it's easy to fall prey to this lie that is materialism. It's not that we don't kind of know this intellectually, Like, how many times have you heard that money can't buy happiness? But then we pick up our phones, or we turn on the TV, or we drive by a billboard, and we're bombarded with ads that tell us a different story. So it becomes really difficult to see the truth through the muddy waters of our culture. And it's not just our current culture. Materialism isn't new. A lot of really smart people have fallen prey to this lie against their better judgment. One of the richest dudes in modern history, John D. Rockefeller, he said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Or how about the example of King Solomon, right? The, the whole book of Ecclesiastes talks about his pursuit of happiness through spending his vast fortune on every type of pleasure imaginable. And in the end, he found it to be empty and hollow. And meaningless. Hugh McClellan Jr., he shared a story that I think captures this really well. He was at the airport and he saw a quaint, an acquaintance of his who looked really troubled. He's like, hey man, what's the matter? And the guy sighed. He said, I thought I was finally going to have a weekend to myself, but now I have to go supervise repairs on my beach house in Florida. And dejected. He sat there waiting to take off in his private jet. Poor guy, right? We got to feel for him. No, but here's, here's a guy with everything he needs, more than most of us can ever imagine, but he couldn't even enjoy his weekend. Why? Because he was enslaved by his possessions. And that's a really egregious example of first world problems. But if you take a look, we can find plenty of examples that hit close to home. How about the terror that comes with owning a new car, right? Because admittedly, a 2023 Corvette looks a wee bit nicer than my 05 Honda Accord where there are no hubcaps and the window doesn't roll up. And it maybe drives a little bit better too, but I maintain that I have one distinct advantage over the Corvette owner because I can park that sucker anywhere without a care in the world. Like door dings, stray shopping carts, little hail, bring it on. 
no anxiety whatsoever for me because it couldn't look any less cool than it already does. But, but, but we all get to this spot, kind of like private jet vacation home guy, maybe on a much smaller scale. We think we own our possessions, but our possessions own us. The second lie that becomes a barrier to generosity is this, and it's the the same coin flipped to the other side. If I could just save X amount of money, I'd have peace in my financial security. And I want you to hear me out on this because there is wisdom in managing our money well. It's like setting aside money for unexpected events. We have the Financial Peace University class starting soon, and there's really good practical advice about how to manage money well. Like being stuck in cycles of debt, living paycheck to paycheck, that's stressful. So by all means, we should take advantage of that practical wisdom that's offered. But what I'm talking about here is your mindset. If you think that there's any amount of money that's going to secure peace and happiness for you, that's a lie. Jesus shared his thoughts around this in Luke 12, 16 through 21. He told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. You see, this concept of financial security is a lie in and of itself, because we don't know the future. We don't know the number of our days. But even if our days are many, even if there's nothing calamitous coming our way, this mindset of trying to find happiness in accumulation and savings, it's damaging even to our present happiness. William Vanderbilt inherited his father Cornelius, his, his vast fortune, something like $2 billion in today's money. When asked how he'd be passing it along, he had this to say, the care of $200 million is too great a load. It's enough to kill a man. I have no son whom I am willing to afflict with this terrible burden. There's no pleasure to be got out of it, no good of any kind. And why did he say that? Because the more we have, the more it's easy to feel like we have to protect. The more we accumulate for ourselves, the heavier that load is to carry There's a tragic example of this you may have heard about, uh, a guy named Adolf Merkel. In the financial crisis of 2009, he was hit pretty hard and lost like $500 million, which is lots of millions of dollars to lose. And uh, that, that was rough. And sadly, that pain of loss was too much for him to bear, and, and he ended up taking his own life. Here's the thing. He still had unthinkable amounts of wealth. Even after the loss of five million, he was five hundred million, he was worth like eight and a half billion dollars. But instead of that money 
creating a sense of security for him. It ended up creating a heavy load, a fear of loss that absolutely crippled him. But here's an example on the other side. It's a man named Craig Greenfield. He's a Christian from New Zealand who felt called to Cambodia. He spent much of his life living in the slums, building relationships, and working alongside the Cambodian people. And for you or for me, it'd be a dangerous proposition walking through the slums. The, the danger of being robbed would be pretty high. But do you know why Craig doesn't have to worry about that? Because he already lives with his hands wide open. He has nothing to lose that he hasn't already offered up freely. And he talks about what freedom there is in living with those open hands. Like he can walk through the slums without fear of being robbed. He weathered that same exact financial crisis as Adolf Merkel without batting an eye because his hands are open and his load is light. Like having more, wanting more materialism, the need for constant wealth accumulation, it creates this heavy load, but generosity and open hands, it lightens that load for us. Materialism threatens to enslave us, but generosity sets us free. But I know it's, it's still hard to do. We know the blessings and the joy that come from generosity, but those lies that we talked about, they're hard to overcome. It's a big mindset change, and maybe it feels almost unattainable, but I have some good news because Paul shares the secret sauce in Scripture, Okay. So let's go back and look at 2 Corinthians 9, 8. It says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. This concept that we translate as having all that you need comes from the Greek word autarkia. It's also translated as having enough or sufficiency. It's this concept of just complete contentment, not needing anything else, not even wanting anything else. Paul also uses it in his letter to the Philippians. In Philippians 4, 11 and 12, Paul says, I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, autarkia, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And did you catch that? Paul says he knows the secret to autarkia. So before Oprah was claiming to know the secret, like Paul's claiming it right here. He had it first, okay? It's in verse 13, and a lot of you are familiar with this. I can do this through him who gives me strength. And we see the parallel between these two passages in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly. In Philippians 4, 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So there it is, guys. At the end of the day, if we want to experience this joy through generosity, we're not going to do it just by knowing all the facts. We're not going to do it through tremendous willpower. It's only going to be by fixing our eyes on Jesus. 
Like as we get to know God more deeply, as we reflect on his radical grace and generosity, then generosity will naturally overflow from us, not out of guilt or obligation, but out of faith and out of thanksgiving. God has freely opened his hands. He's extended us grace and he's blessed us abundantly. We cannot outgive him. And as we fix our eyes on him and as we praise him, Generosity is our natural response because joy generates generosity and generosity generates joy. As we rejoice in God's gift of grace, it spurs us to generosity, which only leads us to more joy and more generosity and more joy. It's this cycle. It's not a vicious cycle. We're calling it the the gracious cycle of generosity and joy. But as we're bombarded with temptation from the the world, from the devil, from our own sinful nature, this redirection of our attention, it takes intentionality. We need to build practice of praise into our daily routine, and we need to set up guardrails against these things that lead us down the path of some of the lies that we've talked about. So ask yourself, Are there shows you watch, places you go, magazines you subscribe to that just leave you wanting more? Like ultimately damaging that sense of autarkia and fulfillment. Think about replacing them. Like an alcoholic staying away from a bar, it's helpful for us to set up guardrails against materialism. This is it's going to sound silly, but an example for me, I know I had to quit watching a lot of HGTV shows because I found myself just wanting stuff I never knew I wanted or never even knew existed, like shiplap. What's even, what is, even is that? Who knows? But it, it seemed really harmless and fun, right? But I found as I reflected, it was actually damaging to my happiness and to my soul. I was caught up in materialism. But again, there's a way out for us. Whenever we inevitably catch ourselves in that space of discontentment, of greed, of materialism, and it's threatening to strangle our generosity and ultimately to strangle our joy, we can step back and spend time praising God for what he has done for us, fix our eyes on him in his generosity and enter back into that gracious cycle of joy and generosity. Because through Jesus Christ, we have something that's not guaranteed to any billionaire. Like we have enough in him. There's so much more that, that we could talk about when it comes to generosity. We're really just scratching the surface today. Jesus talks about money a whole lot, and there's a reason for it. But I truly believe that if we as a church can get excited about what God has in store for us when it comes to generosity, if we can learn to focus on him, respond to his goodness, and open our hands then there's no impact or there's no limit to the impact that we can make and there's no limit to the joy that we can experience. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. You are incredible. You are generous and you are gracious. You 
showed the, the ultimate generosity by sending Jesus to die in our place. We're so thankful to you, and as we look to your example, I pray that you would just give us your eyes to see the needs around us, that you would give us your heart to respond to those needs, and that you would just fill us with joy as we respond, and that that joy would be infectious to the world around us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.